ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. It's the question that's on everyone's mind. How do you live a good life? How much do work, health, relationships matter? What about happiness, meaning, money, and love? What if you're alone or anxious, ill or in pain? These are the questions we explore weekly on the top-ranked Good Life Project podcast. Hosted by me, award-winning author, four-time industry founder, and perpetual seeker, Jonathan Fields. Every week, I sit down with world-renowned experts, iconic writers, and researchers. And while everyone from Olympic gold medalists to world-shaking activists, A-list celebs, musicians, and more, all with a single goal, to help understand what it truly takes to live a good life and to feel a little less alone along the way. Listen to the Good Life Project podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. What's up? How's everybody doing today? That's Mike. That's O'Teal. Welcome back to another episode of Comes the Time. Uh, we are honored today to be joined by the co-hosts of the official Grateful Dead podcast, the good old Grateful Dead cast, Rich Mahan and Jesse Jarnow. What an unbelievable conversation that was. God. Yeah, their podcast is just like, it's like if they made just a whole series of movies about the Grateful Dead and the way they weave their stories together between interviews and then actual stuff that was caught live. And it's just like, like we said, they're like the, they're like the deadheads Ken Burns, <laughs> but you can actually go find the people. They might still be alive. Not like all the people in the civil war. That all yeah. Died, yeah. You know? They're Ken Burnt. That's what we'll call them. <laughs> Ken Burnt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and we are in the, uh, <laughs> We're in the 50 year, 50 year anniversary of uh, Europe 72. So what they've been doing for this season, I believe it's their fifth season, is each week they're releasing an episode that encompasses the shows of that week 50 years ago. And uh, boy, they do not disappoint. And it's and it's the thing I love about them is they go that extra step. They go like, well, we heard about this guy who might know about this, so we found him, and here's what he has to say, and it's yeah. just so incredible. Um, they're they're, you know, just to hear people who love music talk about the music they love is my favorite thing in the world. So, um, 
hats off to them. And please listen to that podcast if you haven't had a chance yet. There's so many five seasons and uh, they've really broken down a good chunk of the lore of uh, the band that we love. So uh, thank you to you guys and, and, and thanks to all the listeners. And uh, we're here on Osiris, uh, home to so many great podcasts. Check them out at OsirisPod.com. And if you like what you're hearing, you should head over to Patreon.com forward slash comes the time pod and get a bonus episode from O'Teal and I every week and some amazing uh, content curated by The Wiz. Uh, thank you guys so much, and we will see you next time. Peace. Thank you guys so much for uh, for for asking us on. I'm I'm so psyched to yeah, dive into this cool stuff. To Thank you. So excited to talk with you guys. <laughs> Same here. You know what's funny is uh, last night Nigel got me up in the middle of the night and uh, he couldn't get back to sleep. So I put in, uh, I got on YouTube as I normally do and the algorithm spit up. You're revisiting Europe 72. And it's like watching a movie, man. I was just like, this is really great. <laughs> and awesome. it's uh, meaningful because we were going to redo it this year. And come. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. That was the plan. Wow. That was the then, plan. Then the world yeah. interrupted again. Yep. Yeah. Oh, man. Bummer. Yeah. But uh, the, that stuff, the music is just, it just glows. It's, it just, I, I never get tired of, of that period of, of, of them at all, ever. It no. just sounds so fresh uh, uh, to me every time. Such a high watermark. For sure. And I texted, it made me text Derek Featherstone, the sound man who, who, you know, uh, basically designed and built Phil's rig with Phil. And I was like, how in the F does he get such low end on his high notes all the time, all the way back to 72? It's not like, you know, as technology got better, it's like from the, out of the gate. It's probably just in his hands. My buddy says the tone's in the bone. Yeah, but well, but at the same time, that was kind of the very beginning of him having like just insane custom gear from Alembic. And, you know, they had those, you know, they had yeah. the, the Alembic people out on the road with them at that point. I don't think they were like tweaking the instruments while they were traveling or anything. But, um, you know, he they were they were fully committed to that quest by that point. And there's actually a notable, a real notable change in the bass sound when he when he got that bass, which I think was summer 71, the, the big brown bass, where suddenly it's just punchy and bright and beautiful and just like, you know, he's, he's, he was obviously always a co-lead voice in that band, but it just becomes mm. so much more prevalent. Like once that, once the gear is there to kind of like match where his brain and his hands are. Yeah. It is not only the tone that he provided it, and the instruments, but also the way that it fit inside the sound yeah. of the band and didn't step yeah. on anybody. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that too, because there are so many points throughout listening to the Europe 72 collection that it's like, you know, there's MVPs every show, but also everyone had, there's MVPs every part of every song. And it's like, there are moments where Phil's just like, oh my God, he's just driving this truck right now. And, and it's just amazing. And then Billy will come up and then Bobby's just tearing it in the back. What I think is another piece. And I learned it from listening to your podcast is all of the rooms that they were playing and how mm -hmm. different each room really brought the punch to it. And I think 50 years ago, yesterday, they were playing at a planetarium, right? In West Germany. Uh, yeah. yeah the Rhine Hall. Pretty cool looking room. <laughs>
Yeah, I can't believe there. I really can't believe there are no like pictures where you can like see the dead and the kind of both this planetarium dome behind them. But it's yeah, yeah just one like amazing storied place after another. Um, Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And, you know, they also talk about how that was that trip was kind of the beginning of their thinking or not the beginning but like a real catalyst for their thinking about the way the spaces they play the music sort of shape the experience and the sound um they uh alan trist talked to us about going to stonehenge with with um garcia and mountain girl and phil and and they were really into exploring like ley lines and kind of just this sort of you know this this you know co- history of of cosmic you know connectivity basically that stretches across cultures and and physical places and alan was saying that kind of the europe trip and going to stonehenge and kind of you know thinking about the music in a more global way is really kind of what set the course for them eventually getting to egypt and sort of like mm-hmm. playing in front of the pyramids but there's really you know they were very very conscious of of these places they were traveling through i think it, who was it there's so many people talking on there, Mountain Girl, and um, <laughs> but someone was say, talking about one of the place places where it was a, a it sounded great, but like they had how, had all these Hitler rallies there and stuff in the past, and you, they said you could just feel it, you know, it's like you couldn't get around that feeling, yeah. you know. 
I mean, that's, you know, another thing about all a lot of these venues and, you know, the, the crew guys have told us this as well. You know, some of this I wonder is, you know, maybe a little maybe a little memory embellished, but, you know, you know, oh, seeing bullet holes from World War Two in these places. And, and the Rhine Hall, it was destroyed in World War Two. So actually yeah. the place the dead played was was reconstructed. It was built in yeah. the 20s and then had to be rebuilt Um I guess in the fifties or even the sixties or something. So that, you know, that layer of history is also there, you know, you get these, like, they're, you know, aware that there's, you know, this history of, you know, beautiful poetry, you know, and, and all this great, you know, high European art, but also this really, you know, dark undercurrents as well. Yeah. And they hear Rob Hunter's like writings that oh. weren't like songs about that time. And yeah learn about St. Stephen's church and all that, you know, it's just like, man, it's like watching a movie, man. It's really cool. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. You guys have uh, the best history project that I could ever think of. I mean, what an unbelievable, (laughs) I mean, really like even going back to like, I I thoroughly enjoyed what you guys were releasing the uh, St. Louis um, episodes um, for the 70. 71 72 74 i believe 73 so yeah 71 71 72 73 yeah Yeah. and uh just the way that like you you guys can just congratulations and thank you because (laughs) what you do is you know you're not giving a straightforward music documentary podcast series you're finding folks that the dead maybe played it at their bar mitzvah at the hot, at the hotel <laughs> or the guy who owns the banjo store in town and Jerry would swing through and hang like a white rabbit guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So incredible. You guys paint such an amazing picture for us to, you know, the people who really care and need it, you know, it's like you guys perfectly parse out just enough time to the music, to the experience, to the community, to the local you know, lore and legend and, and, and just thanks. You guys do such one of my favorite job. things too, that you guys do is that you reach out. You're like, so, Hey, white rabbit guy, if you're out there, like contact, <laughs> that's, that's so cool. Cause you know, who knows, or that the naked guy, naked. that's yeah. what it was. The naked guy, like, uh Oh, <laughs> seriously. You, know, and we then you like go a- back and find like the exact moment. You're like, Oh, wait a minute. We can find that moment on tape. And then weird goes, okay, go easy on him. Be gentle on him. <laughs> I mean, that's like Ken Burns. You're like our Ken Burns. Yes, that's just- it. Like it's so much more. Like you can't you can't go find the old Civil War guys. You know? oh, I was you thinking can't about find naked guy. <laughs> maybe find, well, I mean, I was thinking about that because you know. So one of the things that I'm so, it makes me I'm just so honored we, that we have uh, letters from Pigpen that we've yes. been able to share this, Dude, those this were season. Great. Um, those which great are from you know an response. old family friend who's who's stashed away, but having him read them and it's like you know. I definitely did think a little bit about the Ken Burns thing where it's like, you know, my dearest Martha, I am, you know, I'm lost on the battlefield. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. We should have hired Peter Coyote, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually trying to get him for the podcast. That would be amazing. <laughs> that would That's be cool. just so, yeah. He's like, I'm a blues man stuck in the psychedelic world. Send help. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But also just shocked that, you know, just who what comes out what comes across about that guy in those letters just you know how just you know he's a dude you know you know it just you know not terribly shocking but he's really articulate and a like really you know really good correspondent like you know filling in filling in all the letters are to his parents so i do kind of also wonder what level there's a little bit of censorship happening but his parents seem pretty hip so maybe not but they're really vivid you know he's a good writer you know it's 
I, I wish there were more. I kind of enjoyed the consistency of the fact that there were, there were letters like for a minute there, like he would, you know, every time they went into a different place, he'd write a different letter and talk about eating ham and asparagus and <laughs> what it was like getting, going through customs and all of that. And, uh, yeah. It's just beautiful. I mean, everything you hear about him uh, was about how sweet and gentle and genuine a person he really was. And the fact that he took time to write his folks' letters from Rock and Roll Tour in 72 is pretty neat, you know? That's yeah. really beautiful. Yeah. And I imagine his girlfriend as well. I mean, her stuff doesn't seem to survive. Um, but it, but there's one reference where he's like, yep, catching up on my mail today, where it sounds like, you know, he's just sitting in the hotel writing, writing letters. But, it, you know, and then another, you know, there's this, again, undercurrent of sadness where, you know, the letters kind of stop midway through the tour. And, you know, we haven't gotten up to that episode yet, but it's, um, you know, it's also possible his parents, you know, those, those later letters just didn't survive and he did keep writing, yeah. but he was, uh, he was also struggling pretty hard on, on, on the road this time around, which, you know, he mentions a couple of times in the letters, but it's, yeah, it's, we, it's really interesting trying to reanimate all of this stuff. It's, you know, it's, well, you're doing a fantastic job. You sure are, it's, man. I was just like, <laughs> I should have been asleep and it was like two hours. And at the hour mark, I was like, dude, you got to go to sleep, like put this down. And, and then Nigel woke back up. And so I popped it back in and finished the second hour. And I'm really glad that I did it. Like the timing was just like crazy, you know, but you really have captured it. It really is like watching a movie and it's one of my favorite forms since it's a sonic thing. Like I would love to see the video and pictures that you guys are referencing but it's kind of cool. It's almost like mystery theater. Remember that in the old days yeah. the where it's like a play, but you just listening to it on the radio. Yeah. I really like that, man. It's yeah. really I, super special. I, I kind of grew up in the, you know, the late peak radio age in the, you know, late eighties, early nineties where that stuff was, you know, there were music, radio music documentaries. There was like the Beatles hour. And I kind of remember vaguely a pink Floyd radio hour that I would fall asleep listening to on my little, little clock radio by my bed and have some actually have a memory of whatever i guess it was must have been the division bell falling asleep while listening to like a division bell documentary and there's like radio documentary there's like one track on that that's like a computer voice you know and then the animals learn to talk and i just got like completely freaked out and like and that woke right state. anyway yeah but i used to but, fall asleep to david gans and the grateful dead hour <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the soothing dulcet tones of uh, David Gans. <laughs> but um, awesome. but yeah, for me, there's just so much to rediscover, you know, because everybody has great, you know, Grateful Dead tapes. They're so accessible or it's just like, and they can be really, it can be really reductive. Like, oh, 41472 Copenhagen, you know, one set, two set, you know, and, and, and on paper, in some ways, it, they all kind of blend together if it's just sort of like, dates on paper, set lists on paper. Um, but then to like go back and like really like think think through this stuff, it's like, you know, it seems in a way almost formulaic looking back, oh, two sets every night, then an encore. But it was like really there, there's this very DIY aspect to it where it is constantly changing. Like, you know, there are a couple of shows on the tour that are three sets. And, you know, they really were not, it wasn't like just this regimented thing where, you know, they were yeah. they were really inventing things as they went. The situation was in control. <laughs> Absolutely. At all times. <laughs> all I was tripping out how like the, the um they weren't treating the uh female crew people as well 
over yeah, there. Yeah. And I was like, but that's so cool that you just had female crew people out there back then. It was like, it was such a kind of a, it's always been just so kind of communist in its philosophy. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, far ahead of the curve on so many different things. Yeah, right. Yeah. Totally. Right. Yeah. I mean, even so not only, you know, having women on the crew, but also that was their first tour with a lighting rig. Even like, you know, they yeah. that's sort of the, you know, you still kind of see the dead thing coming together. And, you know, later years, you know, they're playing stadiums, playing arenas. And and, you know, now with that dead and company, you kind of expect like this big, beautiful visual feast behind the band of, of whatever. And this is, you know, like three lighting trees, like not even like, you know, <laughs> structures, just three like light stands basically that like, you know, fit in the, they just tuck in the back of the, the recording truck and, and, and a follow spot. It's and they were a, giving know, her a hard time over that. Right, right. Like, Come on. It's just three trees. Like, what are you, what are you giving me a hard time over? But Jesus. it's, you know, it is, it's, it's, it's amazing seeing them kind of like sort of it's like seeing the building blocks of, of the rock and roll industry of like, you know, all these things that are now like, you know, industry standards, you know, like, like lighting rigs, soundboards, you know, r record your show instantly to 16 track, whatever, all of that stuff. They had to kind of figure out how to do that. And that's a thing that's going on underneath all, all of the early Grateful Dead, really kind of even into the 80s and probably into the 90s, if you if you really go under the hood, is that it, that's, you know, it's all new at the time. Like there's this, this constant drive for what's next, what's new, what's the, how can we improve? How can we, you know, make our amps better? How can we make the guitars better? How can we make the lighting better? Like all of that. So that's what makes me feel like it's like so... Uh american in a good way it's just that pioneer thing yeah. you know like america should just be well it is now finally i was gonna say america should be giving the grateful dead it's it's flowers man you know these guys are that's the pioneer spirit if i've ever seen it you know so thankfully they are now you know but it's beautiful man it reminds me i recently got into professional wrestling really hard and i and I listen to a lot of interviews. It's a lot of like reliving and learning the past. And I just am like, maybe that's what's the coolest thing about America. It's like, we're almost like carnies. You know what I mean? It's just like, just take this other path that's completely to the left of whatever and just go for it. You know, like the whole, it's a weird life, man. The way we live on the road. It's yeah. not, it's you know, we're, we're just now learning how to really do it in a healthy way, I think. Yeah. You know? I mean, <laughs> I was, well, after I said that about, you know, the, 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 that, you know, the changes and the newness happening all the way through the nineties and, you know, stop myself, you know, it's probably still happening now. I, I just stopped looking under the hood kind of after the nineties, but I'm sure that you can. Oh, Bob was not in the gym like that. back then. <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I mean, I, I do like serious workout every day and on the, on the road, I, I do it probably six, seven days a week, whereas it may be five, six at home, but you can't get lazy on the road. Like, because the road will kill you. I've seen, I've seen it over yeah. and over younger than me and they're dropping yeah, left man. and right, man. You know? So it's, um, it's real. We are getting, we're still. We're still figuring out, tinkering with it, you know. 
think about too, like the 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 seventy two dead trip to the fact that they brought so many folks with them. It's yeah. like they brought home on the road, and that I, I wonder about that, like because that there's no. I I was thinking about, and you know, I've been religiously listening to these seventy two shows, and I have my favorites, and there's just high energy start to finish, but there's also great patience start to finish throughout these as well, and it's like you almost wonder how like that energy of both buses and the games that were being played along the way and the whole like fun of it all. It wasn't like, all right, catch you guys tomorrow. Like I'll be in my hotel room and catch Like it just seemed like, you know, just a rolling raucous, youthful, amazing adventure, you know, <laughs> and it, yeah. it's, that, 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 that's, you could feel that you could feel that San Francisco family kind of energy that came with them. Yeah. And I think the dead just, you know, really thrived off of that still, you know, I'm sure all iterations of those guys still do where, you know, of the context in which things are being played and the people that are around you and this energy that, that they're bringing. And in this era, you know, in the States as, as, as well as in Europe, that's not necessarily, it wasn't a given thing for them to show up in a place and that have that energy be thrown back at them. So I think maybe bringing their family was, was possibly a little bit of an insurance policy in that way. Like we, we will, we will have a critical mass of heads that, you know, we'll be, you know, on our trip, on our team, no matter what. Um, but I think <laughs> what they found is that they get to these different places and like audiences in Europe are kind of ready for the great, the, like this myth, this mythological band from San Francisco who kind of come with that, the promise of like, you know, rainbow chaos, whatever it is that the Grateful Dead bring to town. <laughs> and it. you get this constantly with people's memories, memories of them. Actually, one an episode that's not out yet that I'll spoil a favorite quote from is the promoter in Amsterdam was like, yeah, the show started and everybody just lit up and the whole crowd just went totally, the, the, the room went blue with smoke. And I was kind of like, well, but it's Amsterdam. Isn't that like the normal thing in Amsterdam? But he's like, no, not at this place. You know, this was like the opera house. People normally behaved themselves. But here we like the dead come to town. And it's just this like people are ready to, you know, people are ready to, to, to join the party, you know, or the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They did need the family uh, that one time. What was Mountain Girl saying? I think they were playing a television show. And she was like, it was just so rigid in there. So her and Rob Hunter started dancing and they weren't into it. But they're like, come on, man. We got to give the band something to yeah, you know, something yeah. to work with here. For sure. For sure. Yeah, that was the, the beat club in um, uh, Bremen. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's they it, did a really long set, right? Yeah, or a full like they did like a full session, like a full like hour plus tape in. It's it's so cool to watch. It's like you know, it's kind of like or I mean, it's you know, they're taping it, but it is kind of there is a little bit of a rehearsal vibe to it. So you yeah. get kind of the you get you get a you get a window into their dynamics, which is always really fun. Like just how they're interacting. It definitely um, feels like there's not an audience. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. It has that TV studio kind of. Uh, oh kind of feel you know that's another part in listening to not just the europe 72 portion but the all the episodes and that st louis one too in particular is finding out how cities and countries uh found the grateful dead like you guys do a really great job of like where the advent of the grateful dead came to that community whether it was like a local head talking about well this radio show would play 
you know, Jefferson Airplane and Live Dead and whatever. And like, and then someone had a Relics magazine. It seems like everywhere someone had a Relics magazine or the <laughs> European version of like a dead fanzine or whatever. And uh, it's, it, to me, that's fascinating to like think of the origin of like, how did it get there? No internet, no social media, none of that. Just someone in, you know, at a radio station in, you know, Luxembourg or whatever happened to play for the GI station or whatever it may be. It's so wild to think of that. Right. And especially in the States, there's, it's for me just an ongoing fascination with it is how much they're tied to the counterculture and how much they're tied to this like nationwide, really global community of stuff that's happening. And, and a lot of times you read like the coverage of, of like the 60s, you know, in San Francisco. And the music is kind of like this background part almost. It's like all this crazy stuff that's happening. There's so there's LSD, there's dancing in the street, there's posters, there's whatever. And oh yeah, there's a band playing in the park. And, you know, the dead were just so, were part of a community and part of a network and part of this like big extended family that, you know, I think still exists. And, and to me, it's like, you see them coming to these towns and it's kind of like plugging into the local heads a lot of the time. And it's like, it's like, you know, and just seeing how all these things are, are are connected up and it's different in every part of the country. There really is, the, you know, these like little regional scenes, these little regional pockets that have their own flavors. And I didn't know anything about the St. Louis scene before the St. Louis box set came out last year. I mean, Rich does. Rich knows more about that. But it was it's like, oh, my God, there's so, just this rich history of all this, you know, the, you know, St. Louis had this whole head shop history that was like really kind of, you know, if you're studying the counterculture in that city is really fundamental to that. It was like a lot of the scenes seemed to be like anchored around these like giant head shops. <laughs> um, <laughs> we gotta which, think, have to think in terms of pre-internet, where did people yes. congregate to like share information yep. and, and to have community? Yep. It was a hub. I experienced yeah. that touring with a uh, den company because, you know, like I always wanted to play Alpine. It just, when playing there with the dead, it just, uh, it just has a halo over it, you know? Yeah. But then when we went to Eugene, man, that was a different vibe. And it was in a stadium, which I thought would be more, tend to, to be more sterile or more cookie cutter, not sterile, but just more the same. Right. And you just, it was still in Eugene. <laughs> it was so <laughs> different. The vibe, you know, and going everywhere. Like I, I just played uh, Skull and Roses with my band and just that, you know, it's still California. It's still, but it's just different. Like you say, every little spot is just different. I'm so disappointed we didn't do the Europe the 50th anniversary of Europe 72 because I, I was so excited to experience that over there like oh. okay what do French heads and German heads feel like and you know Danish heads and who you know yeah. uh, oh, you know well the, the Europe 74 tour not quite as romanticized as Europe 72 for, for various reasons but you know never too late to commemorate that one either <laughs> ah, this is true. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, though, you know, one lot, you know, tons of, of regional differences, but there's a great quote from Jerry. I can't even remember if we've used it yet this season, but we will. Um, 
where somebody asks him about like going playing shows in Europe. This is a little bit later on. This is like the seventies, the eighties. You know, and they're like, well, what are European deadheads like? He's like, oh, they're the same. They just have different accents, you know? <laughs> and he's like, and it, which is like a great one-liner, but it's kind of true in the sense that like, and I've, I feel like I've experienced this just talking to all these people who are like 50 years older than me and from different countries that there's just this like sense of humor to it or just a sensibility that's that I like, I talked to these, these, these German guys and a couple of them I'm like actually friends with and have been, you know, emailing with for years about just dorky Grateful Dead things. And it's just like, it completely eradicates this whole like, oh, Generation X versus Generation Z versus, you know, the baby versus whatever. It's like, no, like, these are my friends. They're 50 years older than me in German, but they're my dudes, you know, it's like. <laughs> well, we I, talk yeah. about that on the podcast a lot of, and in terms of it being like a frequency on a radio dial. And <laughs> yeah. so it does, it goes all the way back to the beginning of humans, you know, just people that were chill and, and <laughs> want to not have war and all the other shit, you know? And um, yeah, they're just, it doesn't matter what language they're, if they're at, Probably to the left on that far left end of the dial, the Ed, radio. <laughs> Ed, um, Ed Sanders, who was the singer in the Fugs and is a, is a poet, wrote this amazing, I don't even know how many volumes it is. It's called The History of America in Verse. Like, and it's, you know, poetry. And it's basically like that, that, that Howard Zinn book, A People's History of the United States, except... Yeah as poetry and really fun and kind of funny and, and whatever, but he calls them the, the forces of peace. And he said, the forces yeah. of peace have, you know, extended back, before, you know, even before the United States happened to, you know, and it's like, there's this continuous line between, you know, you know, abolitionists and radicals in, in, in the mid 19th yeah. century through, you know, you know, really through socialism and just all this, it's just the continuity of, Amer of, of American protest and American counterculture that, you know, manifests in pop culture through music and, and, and other stuff, but just is so many layers deep and music is only one part of it. And, and that's, that's kind of what I kind of keep coming back to with all these things, with interacting with these, these other people, you know, who, who've crossed paths with the dead is that it's just sort of like finding the way the dead kind of are this, musical portal to all these other worlds it's you know yeah it's that community part because i mean every society every authoritarian society you know when they're scared of revolution when it looks like it's going to happen what do they do they go get the poets they go get the <laughs> artists you know because the artists are the ones calling bullshit and they're like we got to shut that up yeah, first of up. all, first of all, yeah, <laughs> shut all that up. Then we can get back to business, you know. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's the beautiful thing about listening to the the storyscapes that you guys share is that you know, just like when you pull up to a light and you see a steal your face on the back of someone's car and you kind of give an extra look in the window and you know, like it's it's that like knowing that these uh, feelings have been experienced by people throughout, you know, 40, 50 years ago, 30 years, still happening today. And it just feels good because it's like, I get it. I, I know what you're talking about. And, it, and it's just a nice way to, you know, nod off or not. <laughs> <You know, laughs> I know to lay in there like, I should be sleeping, but it's just too good to listen to, you know, it's too great yeah. to hear it. It's like, on one hand, there's this timeless aspect to it, which I value so much. And like, the, you know, this is something I think about when I see, when I see, when I go to Denton company shows, I feel 
I'm in I'm in my 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 mid forties, and I feel exactly in the middle of the age range there. I feel like there are people thirty years older than me and people thirty years younger than me, and it's an, just an incredible feeling that that it really like you know it's genuinely all ages. Like, you know, there's like punk rock, all ages show, but that really just means getting 14 year olds and you're not seeing like, you know, well, maybe in some (laughs) punk scenes, but it really feels genuinely all ages in in a way that, that I think is very rare in, in popular music in that, in that way to be, it's got, I mean, Um, let's try to think of a band that has like literally where it's your grandparents, like grandkids, kids, and yeah, I mean, I mean grandkids, no. parents, and grandparents. Yeah, I mean, I mean one offs here and there, right? Like maybe a whole family goes to see, you know, Hall and Oates once, but I don't think people are going to, you know, where they, not like, where they right, all want to go. It's right. not like exactly. an out of fit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. Bluegrass yeah. festivals are like that. Yeah. I, there's, a, there's a great Eastern <laughs> right. European music festival in New York called the Golden Fest, which is like, you know, you know, it's Eastern, you know, Eastern European folk dancing, circle dancing and, and things like that. And it's, it's a raging party, but it's not rock and roll, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, so on one hand, it, this stuff is timeless, which is, you know, amazing that this stuff still means things to people who, you know, who weren't born when this was, you know, when I wasn't born when Europe 72 was happening and it's meaningful to me, but I'm also fascinated by the way it is so grounded in, when it happened and how it happened and this this very these very specific circumstances of 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 the context of all of this stuff like it was yeah so it's to me there's that kind of constant tension but that it doesn't it it just makes it more magical to me it's like to like go through all these logistics and stuff it's like how they actually did it it's on one hand it should be demystifying but it kind of makes it more amazing to me just like see how they pulled that off you know like how they got however many fucking tons of gear to Europe, you know, how they smuggle all the weed to Europe, you know, like all of those things. Like it's, yeah, it, do, it doesn't make it any less mysterious to me to find out all the workings. It, it just makes it more wondrous. <laughs> Rich, when did you, when did you start? Uh, when did you get on the bus? 85. And I went kicking and screaming. I, uh, <laughs> where I grew up, there were basically two bands, it was the stones and the dead and in high school and the doors were kind of out here somewhere too, still, you know, but it, my mom and dad saw the dead in St. Louis. They're in the podcast and this is one of the St. Louis podcasts, pretty yeah. fun. <laughs> but, um, and so it was always, you know, there was, great music on the turntable from day one, but it just got to the point where I had to, I just, man, it just enveloped me. Everybody was going and it was picking up steam and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to a show. So I went to a show, got high and fell asleep in my seat. (laughs) 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 I don't think you've ever told me that one. (laughs) Uh, At Long Beach arena. They used to play Long Beach arena every fall. So you did the first one, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> and you know, then you know, okay, yeah, we got to go to let's go to uh, we're gonna go to Irvine Meadows because then they play Irvine Meadows in the spring. So I grew up in Southern California, so yeah, and then boy, when I went to Irvine Meadows and seeing an outdoor show, and then there was a better parking lot scene than there was at, in Long Beach, and and then man, you know, it was I was firmly into it as we were driving up to Ventura where you just played Skull and Roses, Otio. And uh, yeah. 
on KLOS, we got the message that Jerry had fallen into a coma and they canceled the show. Uh-huh. It happened right on, literally on the way to Ventura. And um, boy, but when they came back in 87, holy shit, were they on fire, man. Jerry had a fire in his eyes. He had good color. He was excited. He laughed. You could tell he was back and it was so killer. And that's when it just, man, you know, life, that's it. <laughs> yeah. It sucks. It's so something hard. that always it, it pervades it to me as a, the joy, you know, listening to the Europe 72 cast that I just heard. And they, at one point they were talking about just Jerry, just smiling and laughing on stage, you know, yeah, and I love that man. That's that's what I need out of music these days: either joy or sometimes exorcism. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> just sometimes that, both in one. <laughs> I, yeah, but I want that extreme joy, man. I mean, that's what this thing is about, you know. And it's even in '87, you know, for him to like get that back, you know, after being down so hard, it's just. That's beautiful, man. One of the things for me doing these podcasts is like, it's almost like you're backstage with the band, you know, listening to this stuff. I love it so much. And it makes me wish there was a rock and roll time machine because, oh, my God, who doesn't want to see the dead at the film? But you you guys guys are are. the rock and roll time machine. That's what's so (laughs) cool. Like, I am backstage with the band and I'm riveted, dude. I'm just like, (laughs) because now I'm backstage with the band in 72. (laughs) <laughs> or you know i mean you're yeah. really accomplishing that time machine thing i've just for like a bullseye you know when robin hood shoots the bullseye or somebody <laughs> else shoots the he shoots an arrow through the, the arrow in the bullseye that's what you got <laughs> what's up everybody this is mike and today's show is sponsored by sunset lake cbd a vermont hemp farm crafting affordable cbd products designed to help with stress and sleep without breaking the bank sunset lake cbd is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located just outside of one of our favorite places burlington vermont for years sunset lake was a dairy farm producing milk for ben and jerry's ice cream we had them on the podcast in 2019 They diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. And Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to the customer, cutting out all the cost associated with getting on the shelves at stores. They have CBD products for every occasion and offer tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even... For that anxious dog of yours, they have pet products. Ooh, I need to get some for my dog that's barking all the time. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you this. I use these. The Sour Bears. So good. They are CBD gummies. I literally, no joke, I take these every night. They help me sleep. And it's almost bedtime. <laughs> Yep. And I still, as I said it before, I'll say it again. You go to a long show, you come home, my 42-year-old ankles are 
not what they used to be. And I rubbed that salve all over them and uh, put them up. Enjoy a, a nice cocktail and uh, just let it ooze right into those sore bones. And you know what, folks? All you comes a time fans, if you check them out at sunsetlakecbd.com and use promo code TIME, T-I-M-E, you'll get 20% off all products. That's sunsetlakecbd.com. Use promo code TIME, 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer owned, Vermont grown. Thank you. Get you some. I really couldn't agree Thanks, more. You guys are doing, I mean, just the way even that, like the, the way things segue from a discussion to a song in the background or just yeah. like them tuning up and chatting and just that ambient kind of sound that you can hear. And, and it, it really is. It's like, we're there. You guys have created that. Yeah. The and, thought put into it is a uh, oh, super fun. cool and very cinematic, super cinematic. <laughs> it's it's uh, gotta it's... be such fun for you guys too, because you're like, I'm sure you're finding stuff all the time. Like, what are you? Who did we just talk like, to? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh man. I I don't know when this is coming out, so I don't want to totally spoil this. Talked to one of the founders of Greenpeace recently, um, who was at Leal in '72. He and totally randomly. He's not a deadhead. He's. I I found a reference to him being there in a book. It was like a history of Greenpeace. I was just kind of like using searching for Grateful Dead and then the cities they played to see what kind of stories came back. And in this book, it talks about how he was at this show and um, met a bunch of activists that were really important in kind of the early years of Greenpeace. And I'm like, oh, yes, I want I want I'd really like to talk to this guy and get and, and found his email. And without getting into the details of it, he's like. Oh, my God, how like I basically had this like mystical non-psychedelic um visionary experience at that show that, I, I, that those weren't the words he used but right, yeah just like <laughs> this completely amazing incredible story where you know he swears he wasn't dosed he said you know i've, I've taken acid before i knew what that was like this was not that yeah. um and it's just like in like it almost a literally unbelievable story and he's like you know i just i haven't told anybody this story in 50 years or thought about it or or but it was just this mean really impactful moment in my life and it was just i i, I really don't want to spoil it because it's just like a, but see i think it's a mind blower I, it's intense oh, yeah, yeah. God, but if you find it. this over and over again like if we had these guys on the podcast stefani schwartz and they're talking about all these amazing things that were birthed out of mystical experiences but specifically scientists like the whole table of elements descartes i guess had a lucid dream like you know like major shit all throughout time has come from these mystical experiences they've really had a profound impact on the world so i'm not surprised to me it it doesn't demystify it it, it no. uh Pro mystifies it. <laughs> Max we are, mystifies we are nothing Mac, if not pro mystification. Pro mystification. <laughs> yeah. um, but but incredibly, I mean, you know, we talked. We talk about. We have uh, Steve Silverman come on, and and we you know talk about kind of get it a little bit talking about these 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 mystical experiences, and he kind of brings up the point that you know people are kind of wired to have them, and it's a, you yes. know like a, a lot of people have had them, and it's 
The DMT is in here already. It's endogenous. It's in the computer. <laughs> the biggest one of all. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, it, you know, it's not a coincidence that it happened necessarily at a dead show, but it's at the same time, it shouldn't be surprising that. It well, had. that's why I think it's a frequency because see, like Colonel yeah. Bruce never did drugs. It's like he and him and Pigpen were tight. They were blues men that were in, in a psychedelic world. Yeah. And yeah. so but he he was wired clearly he we all as we all have endocannabinoids yeah. and the dmt in there so, so it's a, just a frequency if we get on it like you know so, it can, yeah. so a, a crazy it. story about non-mystical experience about mystical experiences there's a, a pretty i find silberman doesn't agree with me on this i find a, a credible theory that albert hoffman when he discovered LSD the first time before Bicycle Bay, he kind of had this accidental experience where he supposedly got some on his fingers and had kind of a, <laughs> yeah. a thing. There's a pretty, there's a, somebody's made a, a pretty solid argument that that was actually, he did not actually get LSD on his fingers and he did actually have a spontaneous mystical experience, which he was predisposed to have. And he, in his memoir, he talks about having one as a child, but it makes the argument that he was a Swiss chemist working at Sandoz, you know, in this era where to be a Swiss chemist working at Sandoz, you had to be following like the strictest yeah. protocols, you know, having, you know, gloves on or, you know, just really like following these things. The, the idea that he would accidentally <laughs> inject, you know, and granted LSD is super active at, at, at that level. So it is also believable that, that happened, but there is a chance that, that the discovery of LSD was, was a mystical experience pre LSD. You know, some people believe in coincidence. Yeah, <laughs> I don't happen to be one of them. I don't, I don't believe that, you know, I think some random things can happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if like right down to every second. That's what's so beautiful about it and why I don't have a problem with the concept of God, because if things if that level of intricacy is actually orchestrated, that is something to bow down before. That's heavy, man. Yeah. That's like, and I dream into the future. So I'm, I'm constantly struggling with this. I'm like, this moment was already done. Like this linear time thing is not all there is. So I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I'm saying if I can zip forward two and a half weeks, what does that mean? Right. What does yeah. that mean, man? It means a lot, dude. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it puts a lot on the well, table. And to me, the way music has always functioned in my life has been in that area. So it's not hard for me to see it yeah. that way, you know? Well, but, it's almost, in, and when you take a look at the people who went to like the Grateful Dead would show up in town and the Hunter Thompsons and the Peter Coyotes and the Waltons and the, all these people who were extremely, extremely gifted and talented came there to fill up their tank, you know, yeah. like they were the filling station, like the dead set a place and said, come plug in, <laughs> you know, yeah. like juice up your battery for the, the next long, you know, and it, it doesn't surprise me that I, I, I love stuff happens. I love, I mean, it's, it's more literal than what you're describing, but I always think a bit of symbolic at one of those first acid tests. It says, you know, uh, bring your own gadgets. Outlets will be provided. You know, the <laughs> idea that, you know, just come and, that you come and plug yourself in and there's, it's an energy source. It really it totally, is. That's it. That's it's really awful. it. Because uh, for, in the band, it feels like what you described is what we get from the audience. 
you get to come plug in and recharge. You know, whenever I get there, you know, you walk out on stage and then you feel that frequency, whatever that number is. And you're just like, wow, a lot of oxytocin gets released into your system. It's like having my kid on my lap, you know? It's just like you said, Otil, about how Mountain Girl and Hunter got up and danced at the TV show in Bremen. And and then, you know, as soon as they started doing that, the band's like, okay, yeah, we got it. You know how many nights I played with Colonel Bruce Hampton to like nobody getting it? I mean, we tried to run out a lot of the people. (laughs) But, you know, there would be like one or two people and that's all we needed, man. And yeah. we would, and they would come to us at the end of the night and be like, I just can't believe what we saw. And I would thank that. I was like, thank you because we needed something to just, yeah. you know, yeah. we could rehearse though, at home. Those yeah. two are with you forever. And that's yeah. the great thing. You've given right, them something that where they can, they have that forever now. And I meet the them too. Sometimes that's even a heavier connection when it's right. just it a is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It really is. I was on the plane the other day coming back from Skull and Roses, and this guy in front of me, he said, Hey, man, I've, I'm a fan. And, you know, I expect to get that a lot more now after Den Company. He's like, I used to see you back with Colonel Bruce and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right to now. Yeah. We're talking 35 years ago, you know. Like, go. And it's cool. That's what's so cool about what you guys are doing. Like, these people are not all dead yet. Like you can find, Yeah, <laughs> it's really cool to circle back and run into somebody so many years later, I, or in your case, say, like I, find somebody before you were even born, you know, <laughs> when, when we spoke with you for the, for the dead cast, a couple uh, last, last, whatever that was. Um, and you were t- talking about early ARU shows and kind of like the, the, the patchwork of people who are there. I would love to hear somebody do this with that. Like you were just talking about just the diverse crowds. I want to hear like an oral history of like, actually know, I'm, somebody's doing it. I think oh, I'm fantastic. doing an interview coming up and I have an interview coming up about the horde tour, but you know, interestingly enough that uh, one of the guys, Ron Curran's that uh, he's has, Lots of dead stuff. Almond Brothers. I met him through the Almond Brothers. But he has a lot of old Colonel Bruce. There's a lot of that stuff documented. Audio. And wow. there's some video stuff out there floating around on YouTube. I've been sometimes Dave Schools will send me something. I'm like, oh man, or a different friend. <laughs> but yeah, that needs to be done because the Colonel, my God, is crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, there's, there's... But if you had to distill it down to like give somebody the elevator synopsis hotel what was the main thing you learned about playing music from the colonel um that um it's all about your human story and that the actual technical part of playing music while can be fascinating and elevating and all that um doesn't matter if the human thing isn't there then i just feel like i would almost rather hear a machine do it because it kind of hurts me to see emotions not be reached or touched or expressed or something that's just mechanical, you know, now every humans are gifted in all different sides. So somebody's more gifted in the technical and somebody's more gifted in the what you know, right. but he brought me to understand what I was missing about folk music. Cause I've came from, uh, jazz and classical, which are very like, if you didn't have chops, I was like, I don't, 
I don't have time for it. You know, I want to hear somebody that really has mastered, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, well, what, what is your definition of mastery? You know, he played me Hal and Wolf. He's like, can you do that? And I'm like, holy shit. I don't know. I've never heard a human do that. I didn't know that was capable of a human to do that. Yeah. And so the, it just shifted my whole thinking. And were it not for that, I guarantee you, I would not be, there would be no me and the Almond Brothers, no me and Dead and Company. Because wow. the Dead and Company to me is like folk music that plugged in and dosed. That's all, you know. But it's yep. also world music before there was world music. And I'm not like narrowly categorizing it that way but you know broadly cat as broadly as possible you know yeah like because yeah. with when bruce that whole thing he showed me was when then when i approached ornette coleman sun ra you know some of the avant-garde i was like oh shit i get it now i hear the story i'm not playing this game Here's my game. I was like, oh, they just see it completely different. Like, I don't even know that they can help it. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I don't, I, don't, I don't think in the ones who I idolize, I don't think it was an intellectual decision. I think it was like, better to ask forgiveness and permission because this is what I am. Here we go. <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and then I, I, get to, I get an Ornette album while I'm living at this banjo player's house. And there's Jerry Garcia on it. And he connects to Jerry Garcia because Jerry's a banjo player, which I now picked up. You know, I mean, it's just like, I know that's sorry about there's no short way to encapsulate Colonel Bruce, but no, that's no, what no. it I mean, did. It's, it's, all, it's all integrated. I yeah, could listen to Bruce exactly. stories all day, man. <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's the short way to encapsulate it. Colonel Bruce helped me to synthesize everything that I was missing. Right. Integrate it all, you know. Wow. There was one thing you told me early on, Otiel, when we were talking about how Bruce said to you, like, I want to hear when you got your heart broken. I want to hear yeah. when you were embarrassed. I want to hear when you were like, that's so cool for someone. Yeah, you're like, only showing me when you're impressive. Okay, I get it. You can be impressive. Can you show me, you know, I mean, my mom didn't die, but, you know, can you play? Yeah. Didn't your dog die? Didn't something happen to you? Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I hear a lot of young artists now and they're really great. And I'm just like, I guess I just got to wait till something bad happens to them. And let's see if they can get to that because they're impressive. But if I don't get the wow, the spiritual part, the emotional part, the human part, the, all of it, I want impressive too. I like that. But, you know, like yeah. embarrass yourself. Yeah. Don't you embarrass yourself sometimes? You can't do that too? Like, for sure. And, it, it, and hearing you say that and thinking about Garcia, right? And watching his father pass away and losing his finger and getting into a car accident and losing one of his friends and then right into the psychedelics and right onto the road and then losing Pig and all the other guys down the, you know. And then you hear the stories like the whiz told, wizard told in Amir Barlev's documentary about standing on the side of the stage at the Lyceum and watching Jerry just ball his eyes out during morning dew. And it's like getting it out. No, who, who you don't see <laughs> every guitar player is not balling their eyes out on stage. Well, that's, you know? that's what <laughs> Colonel Bruce was saying. He was like, I don't want to hear you play guitar. I want to hear you cry. Yeah. And, and Garcia is such a yeah. 
fascinating example of that like there's you hear him talk and you hear him play guitar and it's like oh there's a there's a through line there like he was able to channel the same person through his instrument it's not just he's like running scales or anything he's he's, he's talking oh, like he's being yeah. and not only that, I think a really important thing is the Grateful Dead built themselves a structure to be human, to be to do that, to be relaxed on well, stage. Well, it was baked in. It was baked in by the acid <laughs> test, right? It was baked in. It was baked, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, so one of the in. things that people, some of these like European heads talk about is that, you know, they see all these, you know, I saw Cream, I saw whatever. These bands, they would come out and they would play the same set list every show and they would have a show, they would have a thing. And the Grateful Dead just came out on stage and were themselves. They didn't have a set list. They didn't, you know, if they had a plan, it was a pretty vague one. And just they were up there. And the idea was they were just expressing who they were in that moment. They were picking the songs that felt like needed to be done in that moment. And that is really abnormal in music. You know, I mean, it's not abnormal in like jazz or, you know, the small, you know, you get down into like club levels and you get down, you know, things that are truly spontaneous expressions, but up at a level where you're playing theaters and arenas stadiums. and stadiums yeah. to go up on stage and just walk out. and like, I think we'll play this song. You know, that's, yeah. that's balls. It took me that's- a long time to realize. I don't know if you guys know, there's a, a record label called ECM. I think they're out of Switzerland, Denmark. It's an Eastern European country. Manfred Eicher. Yeah. Uh, Jack DeJanay and all these guys. Yeah. And I, I, that's where I really connected. That's a big part of my uh, musical uh, formative years. The stuff that came out on that label because of the I, jazz musicians. And I realized when I was playing uh like bird song or dark star or something like that i was like this is like a miles ballad at a stadium like who does that <laughs> for like 30 minutes if we want to like it's just and that that thing it goes all the way back just that kind of introspective total freedom totally uh you know out on a limb but not f- in fear like yeah. we're all good no, yeah. we don't have any idea what's going to happen. <laughs> I just, literally, the, the, I just want to note that the, the LP on my turntable at this moment is a uh, Ralph Towner live ECM oh, record. And previous to that, it was in the, in the pile was uh, Kedona with uh, Don Cherry and all those fellas. Dude, that's um, my stuff, man. That's my stuff. Ralph Towner. Weird, it's a weird way to, I, I've thought about it a lot. And I'm sure I'm you know, definitely not the only person that thought about this, but it's like the bands I love are like the ones that like, I feel like they're letting me watch them practice. Mm-hmm. Like I, it, yeah. it, I'm fine with, you know, like it doesn't have to be this perfectly, you know, buttoned up perfect thing. It's like, I like to see the flubs. I like to see the warts and the bruises and, and all of that. And that's the fun part. That's the thing yeah. that like those two folks watching ARU play, like those are the things you remember. But that's what Bruce was saying. He was like, you're supposed to let everybody in like, yeah, okay. And some, in one sense we're supposed to rehearse and do something perfect because life's so imperfect and you get to live this perfect fantasy for a little (laughs) 45 minutes all right there's that then there's also yeah you should be able to see us rehearse you should be able to see me cry fart like you know the whole laugh you know uh, the whole thing the whole thing from ever all in all in between you know, and I think that's there's something 
very healing about that because when you always have something up on someone up on a pedestal, you feel like you can't do it yourself. And yeah. it lets you see, yeah, we can all do it ourselves. Oh, we blew that one. Okay, here it comes again. We nailed it that time coming around. Like, you know, there's that thing. I try to teach my son that, like, the more you fail, the less you fail. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so right. Far out. Yeah, it's true, though. Very true. Yeah, I yeah. love being in that in a Don Cherry and all these musicians. There's that thread that runs through all of them, yeah. you know, where they're letting you see the whole thing. What a beautiful it, thing, man. And it takes some kind of confidence or, or, or just ability to manifest one. It takes something to be able to do that. And I think with the dead, I think a lot of that is kind of the power of, of, of a group of, ha- of being with your mm-hmm. friends of being with these people you're tight with, who you've gone through the shit with that you're in a safe place with these guys, you know, these, yeah. these you know, or whoever, you know, I don't mean to gender it like that, but you know, who you're up there, who, who your team is. It's the um, island of misfit toys. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> and and like, what's what are you missing? <laughs> they, Owsley talked about that actually. They about yeah. you know like when they would find um, a, a new person who was part of their who part of their crew. It's like oh you know oh you're our sociologist. You're our whatever. We've been missing you. And yeah. that was a very real thing yeah. that they got from. Um, they read more than human by uh, Theodore Sturgeon's science fiction novel from the 60s about all these like psychic misfits who have these crazy powers that they and then they kind of can function together and that that was the the band's model in the 60s during like the thick of the the gooey psychedelic years was this kind of like group mind of of it's funny misfits it's funny that you say this because all this stuff started there in palo alto and you know what i found out this morning or yesterday or a day before whoever started Stanford university, which has all these psychic misfits that work together, right. Ingo Swan, all the remote viewing stuff they did and the CIA hired them back in the early seventies, the founder of Stanford, his brother was a spiritualist. Oh, so there's some, apparently some artifacts that were apported from one place to another in the Stanford library somewhere far out because of this guy and i'm like well if his brother was maybe he was kind of too or maybe he was just caught up in the mystic and part of the story whether you liked it or not you know what i mean because everything goes back to there man all so much all the lsd stuff all the the dead the all the psychic Everything, man. All the UFO stuff. Like this, it's a major internet too. Major <laughs> hub. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The, like the, the so Stan- much, dude. Stanford Artificial Intelligence Lab in the seventies, and and SRI were these hubs of 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 technology, like the hubs of technology. That's where, like, basically, social media kind of grew. Out, like. Everything. Good inventions came out of there as well. <laughs> the first well, digital audio all, workstation came out of Stanford, you know? It's all how we use it. Like nuclear yeah. power is not bad. Yeah, it's all yeah, how I, we use it. We right, can make hot true. dogs or we can fry people. <laughs> like, you know? To make marshmallows get real big. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's like, so, uh, but that, it's funny when you said that about that, that novel, I was like, that's all real. 
It's yeah. actually, yeah. I know their names. <laughs> you know, Joe McMonagle and Ingo Swan and Hella Hammond. And, you know, they did work yeah. together and they pulled yeah. a lot of shit, dude. So many fantastic writers <laughs> coming from, out of there. Yeah. Yeah. And trying um, to help things too. Yeah. Trying to yeah. help things. You guys must have such an amazing time going through, like you think about this as like research, right? Like you said, you were reading a book and you found someone and you're like, I need to talk to them about yeah. this like are you putting out like the searchlight and saying hey like i know we hear it on the episode you're going like hey if you got any stories give us a shout oh yeah like, i'm i'm here. everywhere anybody like <laughs> like all every, anybody i know like, hey do you know any german deadheads you know any dutch deadheads do you guys know any dutch deadheads actually i'm serious <laughs> we need to find some sense. that's the actually, one episode where we <laughs> actually i think i might be able to help you out oh, with that oh my god I might be able to help you out. See, you just put it out there. Because um, I, yeah, I know I've, some. I know some guys that always fly that used to fly over from Germany for Almond Brothers shows for the Beacon because we wouldn't come. <laughs> we wouldn't go there, so they were like, "I guess we got to come to you." Um, and I'm pretty sure they were deadheads too. Far out, but yeah. I mean, part of the whole thing of this is illuminating this deadhead social network. You know, the the the, the connections between heads, the connections between heads in the out, outside world, you know, just anywhere I can look. Like yeah. I, I searched Usenet groups. I searched Google books. I go or through Reddit you know, my actual books, you know, <laughs> like a real, a real big one is actually for this case, figuring out what the venues were called in their countries. Cause a lot of times when they appear on like the, the, the dead release, it'll be like the translated name. So find like, you know, what, what was the, the, the actual, you know, German name for this place and then search for that plus grateful Dead, and you find, you know, people talking about it. And wow. I, I've been doing a lot of Google translate using a lot of like oh, translation translated. stuff. <laughs> um, actually my favorite new trick is somebody sent me a pile. Actually one of the German deadheads sent me this whole pile of French articles. I don't read French, but it's all these, all this coverage of the dead in, in France. And nice. um I make little screenshots and then there's like an o OCR software that'll train you. So I don't, it, tells you what it is and then i copy from the ocr into the translate app and then i have these kind of like mostly translated articles about the dead it's anywhere i can find information about this shit it's it's folklore it's like you know uh, it's you know it's so fun to listen it's to. so much fun to do especially to do it in the star trek age yeah. i mean that's that's the universal translator from star trek <laughs> It's so it's like, how cool man i mean i think of it if we're gonna be sci-fi i kind of think of it the internet is like the infinite improbability drive from uh the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy where just like anything can and will materialize in it like what? you know about this what's his name pascal the code that they wrote to, to drive the it's just Theoretical physicist named James S. Gates discovered this because they were looking for these equations. They found one, a code that matched the code that they used for the Internet. So basically what it does is I'm sure I'm explaining this badly, but the way I understood it was that it sent out a certain number of errors on purpose to oh. verify against, you know, and then so the way it comes back, then it could tell. I, it's, I'm terrible at explaining it, but he said it matched this code that they found in theoretical physics, you know, searching for all these equations. And so the whole thing that he said, which is what I'm saying, is like, if there's a code 
<laughs> then who wrote it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but there's a code in the universe, right? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So I think what you're saying is, uh, yeah, quite, might be literally true. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just oh. been a delight to to yeah. to do all this. It's just so much, and to find these people, it's it's great. And most of them are like, "What? <laughs> How did you find me?" <laughs> anyway, I yeah. know it's extremely hard to to pinpoint one or two, but um, do you guys have any favorite shows <laughs> from this this Europe seventy two tour? I know I have a couple. I'm just wondering if you guys have any to recommend to our listeners in case they want to hear something new. Um, I mean, I really, I mean, it sounds like a cliche. I really do think all these shows are like just this amazing 20 consistent 20 show peak, but I do there. I reach for, and this isn't even like a recommendation from this tour. It's just like, sometimes if I'm in a grateful dead mood and I want to listen to the grateful dead and don't know what else to put on, I'll put on 426 72, which uh, it was the Frankfurt show, which yep. was released as hundred year hall when I was growing up and that, you know, kind of, but it's still, that one just always feels fresh to me in a, in, in a, just this so many ways. Um, so that I'll, I'll be arbitrary. It's a somewhat arbitrary answer, but <laughs> yeah. I'll stick with that. <laughs> Everybody's got their favorites. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Rich, you got a you got a favorite Europe. Europe well, jam? yeah, it's kind of a of the moment. It's the it's the one, and we're going to be covering it in this week's episode that's coming out uh, at the Olympia Theater, where mm. the band re-upped their supply of LSD, and it was ten <laughs> times stronger than the batch they had before. And yeah. just to listen to that show, knowing they're literally out of their soul. <laughs> Second oh, night. May fourth. Yeah, they do. Dark Star is like, and uh, well, one little spoiler, it'll show up. But Donna <laughs> tells this story about how she was super duper high, and she had to hang out under the piano for a little bit of the show. <laughs> Be yeah. close to hubby. She got it back, but yeah. yeah. Well, and just like yeah, I mean, but, so that I mean, it comes uh, up in pretty much every episode. <laughs> stories like this of just how super dosed everybody was, but that is something that I, I do actually just want to stress for a second is in a it's funny but it's also true is that how, how much acid these guys were taking and these guys i mean the whole family the whole fucking family um yeah it wasn't a it couldn't have been every show because you can't really do it no. two nights in a row but i kind of almost assume that when they're playing that that it's more shows than not this tour that that's happening <laughs> yeah. that if it's a dark star night that that's what's going on that's you know <laughs> And that's every other show, you know, dark stars on this tour. I mean, so amazing. And each one is so different. The Tivoli one is amazing. The the five, four Lily, uh, France is my favorite. And the Tivoli, the Tivoli show. And the, the, the dark star just blows up so early and it's just, Oh my God. But yeah, every show that every dark star show is probably a dose show. That's a good way. It's funny that people like, you know, I, I often heard it as a criticism you know, almost like a cliche. Oh man, this dark star was so much cooler. That dark star. And I'm like, but in jazz, nobody gives that a second thought. It's like one night to the next. Everybody I'm, has their favorite. Like, you yeah. know, how I, come I, we how come deadheads can't do it? You know? <laughs> I, I really resist <laughs> ranking things like that. Especially the, yeah, the but, older I get, the less fun the ranking part is. I it's kind of like one I mean, I'm more interested in like, okay, this first one, the 414 one or the four eight one they kind of introduced the this um 
this feeling groovy jam kind of at the end, this sort of feeling groovy proto mind left body, these kind of themes that the deadheads have named. And then you see that theme kind of evolve over the course of the tour. And in the first night, the first time they do it, April 8th, it sets up this incredibly smooth transition, like next beat transition into Sugar Magnolia that's totally spontaneous. And they just, they, they finish the jam, land on a beat, we're start Sugar Magnolia and everybody flows into it. And, and you know, Jerry keeps freaking over the top of it for, for a few bars or whatever. <laughs> and then the next version, they land in kind of a very similar jam and it could totally set this perfect transition this totally perfect transition up and they don't do it. They never do the transition like that again. And this, so hearing how these like ideas come up and how they kind of like resist doing it the same time as the previous time. And then they also keep developing it. And it just, I I love just the little, the little flavors, the Paris one, my favorite thing about that or not. Wow. One of my favorite things about it is there's a drum break in the middle but it's it's hard to call it a drum solo and i would almost even protest having it as a separate track it's just the jam just kind of falls into this thing and it's not like you get to the drum solo and it's suddenly like it's just like it just melts right into it yeah it's almost like the track was isolated for a moment and yeah i know exactly what you're talking about i love that so much yeah it's just like a continuous thought and all of them all the different dark stars have different things like this not planned you know it's just pure yeah yeah but that's the part that's that's the part where i connect with it so much because that's how jazz is and all the other musics that are based on improvisation like yeah. you got to have the whole it's all the different performances and how they're different yeah. not you know yeah one thing show. that always uh, impressed me about the dead is that if you listen to the progression of a song like Jesse's talking about um hard to handle is a great example right so like they started getting into these jams in there and then you get to 8671 at the Hollywood Palladium and they hit that jam in the middle and holy shit is it tight i mean like it's rehearsed it's that tight you know what i mean and they don't do it again and you would think, and it got such a huge reaction from the crowd. If you listen to the audience tape, the audience is going upside down. They're just absolutely jubilant. And they don't do it again. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was like, it was cool last night, man. Let's just start doing that every time. They don't. Yeah. They, they try to find the next cool thing. Yeah. They probably an, just there, fell there, together, you know? Yeah. There's, right. an, there's an early 70 eyes Mississippi half step that does that as well. That's just like, man, the way it goes in, it's just off a crash. And then, and it's just perfect. And it's like, then they don't do it again. It's like, oh my God, I want to lock this up so I can never lose it. I always try to, I always forget the date and I'm horrible with that stuff, but uh, thank God you guys are great at it because you're my oracle. You guys are unbelievable. And thank you so, so, so much for what you're doing. Really. It's so much fun to listen to. Yeah, awesome. thanks Thank for doing you. our podcast too, man. Yeah, oh, thanks for it's, uh, it's, a, it's a real treat. Thank you. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, cool. everyone. We'll catch you next time. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. It's the question that's on everyone's mind. How do you live a good life? How much do work, health, relationships matter? What about happiness, meaning, money, and love? What if you're alone or anxious, ill, or in pain? These are the questions we explore weekly on the top-ranked Good Life Project podcast. Hosted by me, award-winning author, four-time industry founder, and perpetual seeker, 
Jonathan Fields. Every week, I sit down with world-renowned experts, iconic writers, and researchers. And while everyone from Olympic gold medalists to world-shaking activists, A-list celebs, musicians, and more, all with a single goal, to help understand what it truly takes to live a good life and to feel a little less alone along the way. Listen to the Good Life Project podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Osiris. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.